I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today I am talking with Alex Chang, who is the CMO of the San Francisco 49ers. Alex, hi and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining me. We have so much to talk about. And I mean, everybody has been talking about the San Francisco 49ers for what seems to be months now, if not years. Um, And a lot just happened, you know, a little game went on. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and a lot of really incredible things happening in just in general with your role and what you're doing with the 49ers. So why don't we start first with what is your role and and what are you excited about? Yeah, so you know my role as CMO is really covering all consumer facing marketing. So it's everything from brand strategy, creative, um, media, social, digital, content production, um, even all the game day presentation, entertainment elements, um, any events that we do as well as corporate communications and PR. So it's a pretty wide remit, but ultimately it's the same types of things that you would find in a marketing organization at a brand. Okay, so that's really interesting because uh, we were chatting before that I've had a few of your colleagues on the show, Julian Duncan from the Jacksonville Jags, but also Tim Ellis, the CMO of the NFL. And I was curious, like, how do you work with Tim or with Julian or other folks in the league, you guys are highly matrixed, right? Yeah, we are. I mean, you know, it's really collaborative between the clubs themselves as well as with the league office. Um, And so what you find is a lot of information sharing going across all of those lines. So whether it's the league office aggregating marketing information or intelligence and then disseminating that to all of the clubs or it's different clubs working with each other one-to-one or a handful of people getting in a room and brainstorming we do that all the time. You know, ultimately, none of us are really in direct competition. Frankly, we all have kind of our own territories, our own fan bases, um, and our own objectives that are highly localized. Um, And so you find that more often than not, there's collaboration versus competition between us. Okay, so so let's talk about the 49ers then. I think what's really cool is that you can be colleagues because you have a very dedicated fan base right here in San Francisco, if not way beyond. 
you know, let's talk about your fans. How do you think about your universe of fans? Yeah, in two ways, really. I think the first is, you know, those people that come to our games, right? So you're talking about people who are season ticket holders, 70,000 people we can fit into this building every week um, for 49ers games. And so those are kind of your most engaged um, fans, the ones you have the most direct kind of contact with on a week-in, week-out basis um, because they're physically here. Um, and those are fans that we want to make sure have an amazing experience. We want to make sure that every time they set foot in this building that they're creating a lifelong memory for themselves and with their family and their friends to enjoy the game. We know that there's really no substitute for that live experience, and we kind of value each of those interactions that we have with those 70,000 that come here every week. Beyond that, you're talking about millions of people who, who will never be able to come to a game. Either they don't live in the area or they don't have the means to come to a game, and we have to make sure that we engage those fans just as much because ultimately that's the strength of the brand. It isn't just the 70,000 that are here. It's the millions that are 49er faithful, whether they, they are at games or not. And so when I think about those fans, um, it's really about how you engage them in digital and social and other content. How you are thinking about them, you know, in terms of uh, retail? How are you thinking about them in terms of community outreach? We have programs in STEM uh, and flag football uh, and other uh, community programs. Those are all really critical because those are all representations of the brand. So that's really interesting because I remember earlier you were talking about like the mission is really to command hearts, minds, and wallets. And, uh, and man, there's different tactics you need to take for all of that. Uh, so you were talking about some of this community outreach. One of the things I noticed during the Super Bowl, and, and you said it's actually been running for quite some time, but it really got a lot of positive buzz uh, during the Super Bowl, was the ad that ran about your new coach, who happens to be female and also LGBTQ. And I just thought that was so wonderful to see. And I just wanted to commend you for that. And what's been the feedback on that? Yeah, it's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, so you're talking about Katie Sowers. She's one of our offensive assistant coaches, and she's been with the team for a couple of years now. And that was really credit to Microsoft um, and to Katie for that story and being able to share that story. Katie is someone who is a pioneer in the field and someone who's laying the path for other females who want to be involved in football, whether that be as a player or as a coach. Um, and so we were really happy that Microsoft gave Katie the opportunity to tell her story. It's been going on throughout the course of the season, that spot, but then obviously putting it on the Super Bowl created a huge stage for it. And, and we were really happy for her and happy for Microsoft for doing that. Yeah, it was really fantastic. I, I was blown away and I just, I just commend you. I think it was tremendous to share the story and also commend Microsoft as well. Which begs the question, I mean, you probably have your pick of partners that you would like to work with on certain things. How, how do you think about partnerships with the NFL? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're um, fortunate that we're one of the strongest brands uh, in all of sports. And so that does mean that a lot of um, corporations, a lot of partners uh, want to leverage the relationships that we have with our fans uh, to help further their brands. Um, and I actually come from that side of the business, having spent most of my career on the brand side, working on sports entertainment partnerships. Um, for us, in terms of how we think about it, it's really working with our CRO, who's a peer of mine, and working with his partnerships team to find those partners who are the right fit for us from a brand value standpoint. You know, find those people who can actually add to our fans' experience, um, help them get more out of that experience is really critical. What we don't want to do is just create more noise in the system. We recognize that it's an honor and are privileged to have this relationship with our fans. We want to make sure that we do everything we can to protect that relationship and, and help nurture it. And when you talk about brand values and adding to the experience, are there any examples that come to mind that really do that for you? Sure. If you think about 
Levi's is a great example. So Levi's is one of our um, largest partners, obviously one of our longstanding partners. Um, they have our naming rights to the stadium here. And Levi's is a company that has very similar values that we have. Um, it's Barrier Roots. It's a brand that's championed diversity and inclusion, um, really on the cutting edge of culture. And so to us, that's a, in perfect alignment with what we do here. Um, we're also fortunate to have a lot of tech-based brands um, as partners. And you know, part of that is obviously our location here in Silicon Valley. Um, but also because we share that same philosophy about innovation and thinking about how to leverage technology for the advancement, in our case of a fan experience, in their cases of society as a whole. Okay, so are there any cool things that you're working on right now that we can get a peek at or should know about when it comes to fan experience? Like, what are some of the new things that you're thinking about? You know, one of the biggest things we're working on, and I'll speak to it at a high level now, um, just not to give away too much, but we are, are working on a big repositioning um, for our brand. And so, you know, for the past uh, four or five years, um, we've had a position called Faithful Then, Faithful Now. And so faithful is the term for our fans. And that campaign was really about reminding people of, you know, the days of the 80s and 90s when the team was really successful in winning Super Bowls. You're talking about, you know, Jerry Rice and um, Steve Young, Joe Montana, those days. And we had that campaign essentially to sort of remind people of those days because the team wasn't performing the way we'd like to on the field. Um, and so we want to kind of remind people to keep the faith. Um, and so that's been great and it made sense, but I think we've decided to sunset that now, the conclusion of this season, um, mostly because it's time to look forward. This team is competitive now. This team is going to be good for quite a long time. And so we think that it's important now as we're thinking about the future to really focus our fans in that way as well. The other thing to think about is, you know, the times that we were talking about referencing the 80s and 90s, if you're in the age of 30 at this point, it's pretty much irrelevant to you. And so we have to be conscious of that as well. We don't want to alienate audiences by referencing something that they don't really have a frame of reference for. So we're excited, you know, we're going to launch a new brand positioning. It's going to be something that's very inclusive, something that I think will instill a lot of pride amongst our fan base. Um, and we're going to launch that um, right around a draft, which is at the end of April. And so more to come on that, but it's something that my entire organization is focused on right now. We've been working on for uh, the better part of this entire season. So since last fall, really, um, and we're excited to kind of reveal that to the uh, world. Wow. Okay. I'm very excited. I can't wait to see what it is. Uh, so I'm going to be expecting a phone call from you. Saying- <laughs> <laughs> no problem. You'll be the first to know. Yay. Oh my gosh. Um, well, you mentioned a couple things here along the way, just a minute ago, you were talking about all inclusive and what I find really amazing. And we were talking about this earlier too, is that you yourself are bringing diversity to the NFL from a C-suite position. And you mentioned to me, you came into that position from a very different background as well that most people wouldn't expect. So let's talk about that. Yeah, sure. I mean, my background is really atypical. It's a very non-linear path um, to become a CMO of an NFL team. Uh, my family is from Taiwan. So I'm first generation uh, Asian American here in the US. My family immigrated to the US in the 70s. Uh, I grew up in North Carolina, a small town north of Charlotte. And I went to high school in New Hampshire and then college and grad school in Atlanta. My undergrad degree is in biology. I was pre-med. Um, the only reason I was pre-med is because my dad's a doctor and I come from an Asian American family where the expectation is you're pretty much a doctor. <laughs> um, and so what I can tell you is that I absolutely hated it. It wasn't for me. It grossed me out. I didn't understand most of the things I was uh, meant to be studying and just took no interest in it. And so I ended up pivoting from that uh, into 
master's degree in health policy and management. Um, so getting more into the business side of healthcare. And then my first job out of grad school was doing healthcare consulting for um, Ernst & Young. So that has nothing to do with marketing and nothing to do with sports, right? And this was in the late 90s, headed into 2000, and the first dot-com boom. And then from there, I got an opportunity to join the digital group at American Express when it was still the wild, wild west. And no one really knew what to do with the internet. They just knew they had to do something. And so they were creating groups to kind of figure it out, figure out a strategy around interactive, around digital, around web, et cetera. So I joined that group for no other reason than to get off the road because I was trying traveling nonstop as a consultant and to join a, you know, one of the most respected brands in the world in American Express and to learn a space I didn't know about before, which was interactive and digital. Um, so did that job for a couple of years and then through a series of moves, ended up actually doing six different jobs in American Express over 13 years in four completely different functions. Um, so I moved from interactive slash digital over to card marketing, mostly focused on small business then to doing more traditional advertising, um, and then doing sports entertainment partnerships. And Amex was one of these really great organizations where they allowed people and really encouraged people to move around and learn different things as they moved up in the organization. And so you didn't have to sacrifice one for the other. You could actually bounce around and try different things, different disciplines, um, while you actually progressed in the organization. Um, so I, I just took that opportunity to learn different things every step of the way. And I would tell you that no job was sort of planned out, like this is the path I want to get to. It was always the next best opportunity. In my last role there, I oversaw sports partnerships and worked on sports entertainment partnership strategy and just kind of fell in love with the industry. It was one of these nice things where it was really this convergence of, you know, my own passion for sports, consumer passion for sports. So people were really leaning in. And then with, you know, kind of my love then for marketing and marketing strategy and brand strategy. Um, so I took that opportunity to get that experience, really fell in love with it and realized that if I wanted to do more with that role, I'd have to start to look outside and start to look at different facets of the sports entertainment ecosystem. Um, so I went agency side for a few years, worked at two different agencies, IMG and Wasserman, to see that side of the business. Um, worked on some great brands like Microsoft and Verizon during that time and really kind of got a, a different experience there by getting a different perspective from the agency side uh, and kind of learning that side of the business where it's more about influence than it is about maybe the pure decision-making. And then from there, I went back to brand side, worked at Samsung for a few years, um, working in our sports entertainment partnerships, um, a lot of which were global in nature, like the Olympics, um, which was really interesting to work on global properties. Um, a lot of it also was talent-based, which is another facet of the uh, business. So I've kind of bounced around between brands and agencies and, and uh, back again. And then um, was really cold outreach uh, from a recruiter about the role here. And I normally discounted team side jobs in the past because I didn't feel like teams were taking marketing seriously. Uh, most NFL teams and most sports teams all up really didn't really have CMOs even because in the past marketing wasn't necessarily deemed worthy of a C-level title. And that's been changing over the past five to 10 years across various teams and across various leagues. And so when I got the job spec for the 49ers, I opened it with some level of skepticism, but when I read it, I was pleasantly surprised. It read like a true CMO job. It was about transforming brand strategy. It was about attracting and engaging new audiences. It was about redefining the go-to-market strategy in every sense of the word uh, and rebuilding a marketing organization from the ground up. So I was certainly intrigued by that and then had conversations um, with the organization. So my first conversations with a guy named Al Guido, who's the president of the team and my boss, um, I knew of Al, um, just because he's a legend in the sports marketing industry, but I had never met him in person. I talked to him for the first time uh, for an hour or so over the phone, and it was like two old friends talking. 
uh, who would know each other forever. Uh, it was more of a conversation than an interview. Um, so that was kind of my first sign that this was, is a place that I could actually be really comfortable. And then I came in for a full day, met Al and the rest of the, uh, the exec team. And that was about really, A, understanding the culture here, and B, understanding, like, were they really interested in pushing marketing? And they're really, really interested in having a true CMO to drive their brand and to drive their marketing efforts forward in a way that probably hadn't been done before. And the answer to all of those questions was a resounding yes. Um, so it made my decision to come here very easy. At the end of the day, you look at it and say, you know, I've worked for 20 plus years and starting as a healthcare consultant and ending as a CMO of NFL team, there is no logical path to get from there <laughs> to <laughs> in 20 years, but um, somehow I did. And I think ultimately it boiled down to just being able to take chances and take risks and um, continuously wanting to learn something new along the way. So I love that, right? That that's what CMO moves is all about is the cool moves that you made. And they're not always predictable or there's nothing traditional anymore. And certainly not in your case, uh, that's for sure. I love the way you were talking about the fact that you looked under the hood at this role before you took it and said, do you really value marketing? Are you really going to enable me to be successful as a CMO? And I think that's such a smart position because there's a lot of debate out there right now about the role of CMO because it fluctuates so dramatically given the size of the business or the industry. And I would just love to hear your perspective. What do you think is missing from some of the CMO roles that you would probably not take seriously? What is it that in this role, you're like, this is, this is what got me because this is here and it's not in other places. I mean, for me, and I think NFL teams are in a slightly different position. One really important thing is the organization need to have kind of the self-awareness to know that they need to proactively work on addressing fans of the future. Right. And so I think for the past 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, it's been pretty easy for NFL teams from a marketing standpoint, right? You're the biggest show in town. You're the biggest sport in America. So if you're just here, then you'll get fans, right? Kids are going to be naturally become your fans because they've grown up in this area or because their family was fans or because their friends were fans. That's just not the case anymore. Uh, and that's something that both at a league level and at a team level was maybe a little bit of a harsh realization, but it's the truth because we're all living in the attention economy. It doesn't matter whether your NFL team, a CPG brand, a technology brand, a services brand, doesn't matter. We're all kind of dealing with the same issues now, which is figuring out how to capture uh, the attention of the next generation. And the competition for that attention is exponentially higher than it was for a previous generation. And so for me, as I looked at this role, I think what was really critical was to understand, did this organization believe that? we need to actually proactively go out and do things differently in order to get the next generation of fans. And if they believe that, then are they willing to do the things that it takes in order to do that? Meaning are they willing to reallocate resources, adopt new strategies, take on things they hadn't done before, try new things, maybe fail in certain areas as well and take those chances. And I will tell you that I'm encouraged to see that uh, not just the 49ers, but a lot of NFL teams, a lot of sports teams in general are now finally taking that step. And I think the addition of a CMO role um, to those organizations. And I, like many of my colleagues, are first-generation CMOs, meaning the first ones in the history of these franchises. That's, to me, a clear sign that they're taking it seriously. Yeah, you know, it's amazing because I was uh, talking with Tim Ellis last week. Um, he and I are opening Challenger Brands next week. For those of you who don't know, Tim is the CMO of the league. 
And he was very, very excited about the progress across every one of the teams, and especially in this area that you're talking about. So he's going to share some stats next week that I think are going to really underscore what you just said. So let's let's talk about something else uh, that you mentioned earlier too. My ears perked up when you said it, and I was going to stop you right then and there, but I didn't want to interrupt you. Um, but you talked about being in the agency world, and you said it's more about influence versus decision making. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's follow the money, right? So you know, in the in the sports marketing agency world, the part that I side, which is you know, brand consulting. Your role essentially is to advise brands on their sports entertainment investments, right? Where should they spread their dollars? Who should they sponsor? How should they activate those partnerships? And then managing those activations. And so ultimately, decision lies on the brand, right? In terms of how they want to execute, how, where they want to invest. And so your role really is to influence and inform that decision, but you're not making the decision. And that can be frustrating at times because ultimately it's not your decision. Like if the client decides that they want to do something different than what you're recommending, that's their prerogative to do that. Um, and that's just the way it is. And so I think it's, it's a different skill set. It's not better nor worse. I think it's just different. Um, it becomes more about influencing than pure decision making. Um, what I found is interesting is that there is no perfect side of the sports marketing industry. I, I have a lot of conversations with people, informationals and advising people and helping people figure out career pathing and all of that. And there's a lot of different routes that you can follow within sports marketing. There isn't one perfect path. There isn't one perfect place to be. There's pros and cons on all sides of the business. And so as long as you go in eyes open, knowing that, um, I don't think you can make a bad decision. Just go in making an informed decision. Well, okay. So you've had quite the exciting and certainly diverse journey. And you must have learned a ton of what I like to call tips for success along the way. Before I ask you what some of your tips are, tell me about a couple of those moments where it was a standout moment for you. Sure. I think the first one was leaving American Express. Um, as I said, I spent 13 years there. I essentially grew up in that organization. It was where I got introduced to marketing and, and started to build that experience. And I loved it there. I mean, they have an amazing brand, amazing culture. They know how to, to take care of their people. And I had no reason to leave, frankly. Um, I think it got to a point where I said, you know, if I really want to start to progress my career in sports specifically, I can't do it here because I'm, you know, VP of sports marketing, there's no more jobs left and it's a great job. And, and again, a wonderful organization, but in order to continue to advance, I've got to make a move. That's a hard choice to make because I think once you spend 13 years in an organization, the analogy I always use is it's like being in a zoo, right? And as an animal in a zoo, after 13 years, you're pretty comfortable in that zoo. You know, you know when you're going to get fed, you know where you're going to sleep, you know who's going to take care of you everything is pretty set and you're living a, living a pretty good life and being released out in the wild is a pretty scary thought because you don't know if you're going to survive. And it's the same way when you're an organization for 13 years and you moved around and you moved up, you're doing pretty well and you don't really have a logical reason to leave except for what else could be out there. Um, but the risks that come with that, can you survive? Can I find another role? Can I find something challenging? Can I find something as rewarding an organization with a good culture? All those things are playing in your mind. And so those seeds of doubt um, tend to make you put off decisions. You know, I left after 13 years. I probably could have gone at any point in those 13 years, but it took 13 years and six different jobs for me to finally get the courage to go outside. Um, but that was a really important decision because for me personally, what it proved is I can survive in the wild. and I can make it out there. And, and, I had, and every decision I made after that wasn't necessarily the best decision. There were some roles that I took that weren't the right fit for me, the wrong organization for me. And that's okay because at that point, you know you can survive. Um, and so if something isn't working out, something isn't perfect, then you know you can still pivot and make a move 
And so to me, that was probably the most important decision in my career that was to make that first step out, um, leave the zoo the first time. Because once you leave once, um, you can leave anytime you want and, uh, and you can make it out there. I love that. Okay, leave the zoo. So with that, I'm sure you have some tips on either things that went well for you or frankly, things that didn't go well that you learned a tip from. Would you share a couple of your tips? Yeah, I mean, everyone has different management styles. Um, and I think there's not a single sort of recipe for success when it comes to management. I think everyone has to think about their own personality, what they feel comfortable with, and how they want to influence and lead. And to me, I've always felt like the most important thing is to be empathetic uh, as a leader. Uh, and empathy comes in many forms. Empathetic doesn't mean soft. Empathetic doesn't mean that you don't hold people accountable um, and you can't give tough feedback. Empathetic just means treat people like people. And I've always tried to be an empathetic leader and still have really high standards, still make sure that people are performing, still give people the feedback when they need to hear it, but do it in a way that is empathetic. I think that to me has been really important. And I've had a lot of leaders in my career who led that way. And so I've learned from observing them, watching them and, and being led in that manner. I've also had some that haven't led that way. And you kind of learn some from those areas as well. Sometimes the best lessons are what not to do. And, um, and those are just as viable as what you should do. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. And it's interesting you're talking about empathy. And you, we were talking about Microsoft earlier. I had Chris Capicello on the show, gosh, going back now, probably 18 months ago. And we were talking about empathy and empathetic leadership. And, and he used a term from a book that he read about proximity being the the fastest path to empathy, where if you're around somebody, if you're close to them, if you're living life with them, you can have empathy. But a lot of people don't have those opportunities. So do you have any tips on how you have learned how to be empathetic as a leader? Yeah, I think a lot of it's just spending time with people to understand both their roles in the organization, understand their personal life, and as much as they're willing to share kind of what's going on there, because that factors in to the workplace as well. Sharing about yourself is really important too. So they feel like it's a two-way street and there's an open dialogue happening. And all that's really critical. You know, I think it gets tougher as organizations get larger and workplaces become more dispersed and things like that. I get it. But as a leader, you have to take that effort because ultimately if you do it, it's going to pay off for you in the long run, right? You want teams who are fully committed to you and to the brand and to whatever it is you're trying to achieve. And they're more likely to do that if they feel a personal connection um, to you as the leader. So I think it's about just carving out that time. I know it doesn't seem like necessarily it's having a direct impact to what's happening tomorrow and driving the sales next week or next quarter, um, but long-term for the health of the team, ultimately the health of the brand, it's absolutely critical. Great advice. Okay, well, Alex, it is about that time uh, where we are unfortunately out of time, which I hate. So I have to ask you my last question, but we're certainly going to get together again because you've got some news to share at the end of April that you promised I would get to hear about. So we'll, we'll bring you back. But here's my last question for you. If you had all the money and talent in the world, unlimited amounts of both and in anything, what would you do? And you can't say BCMO of the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think if I could have any job in the world, uh, besides being CMO of the Central 49ers, I think I would just be a sports writer, a beat writer, you know, covering local sports. I've always grown up on sports. I grew up in a little town in North Carolina. All we had growing up there sports-wise was ACC basketball. Um, so I'm a diehard UNC Tar Heel fan. 
you know, remember just so many nights huddled around a TV watching a Carolina basketball game. And, you know, in summers I, I got hooked on baseball because I watched the Mets on cable on WOR. And so um, being able to, you know, have those memories is, is just really important. So to me, sports writing is what I'd love to do. I love to write. I love to tell those stories and to do it in a sports context to me would be the ultimate job. Hey, you know, I think I know a publication that could use your services one day. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to let my executive editor know that you might become available one of these days and we'll, we'll keep you on the list because that would be fun. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Well, wonderful. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been so much fun to hear your journey and, and all the cool things that you're working on. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And we'll talk again soon for sure the end of april awesome sounds good thanks thank you so much for tuning in today i hope you enjoyed the show if you did i would love your help in sharing cmo moves with one of your friends or colleagues who you think might enjoy it too and if you have time i would really love your review or ratings on apple or soundcloud so thanks again and have a great day Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 